Welcome and hello, my fellow students, to episode two of the Japanese Power Rangers for Dummy podcast with your hosts, me, Tech Senpai, and my co-host, the lovely Howie Kohai. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. So for this episode, we decided to look at the American adaptation of the Daijujin arc, which is the first four episodes of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which, as some of you may know, is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year, which I still can't believe it's been 30 years since it came out. Like, that's just astonishes me in the first place. So for those of you who have been living under a rock for 30 years, I will explain the premise of the show, and then we're also going to go over the episodes. So in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, it is a show about five teenagers with attitude. Yes, I have to say that because it is how they describe the show every single time. Get used to it. Are chosen by <laughs> they're chosen by a interdimensional being called Zordon and his assistant Alpha 5 who is a robot voiced by the voice of Invader Zim who takes these five teenagers gives them powers to fight a evil sorceress named Rita Repulsa who is trying to attack the earth after being sealed away for 10,000 years on the moon and then got released by astronauts just like in Drew Ranger so in the show it's pretty much kind of like think saved by the bell but they're fighting monsters kind of show so Uh, Going into each episode, starting with episode one, which is called The Day of the Dumpster, and I'll explain why. Uh, The episode starts just like in Jew Ranger, where astronauts go, instead of on a different planet, it's supposed to be the moon. In here, they release uh, Rita from her space dumpster, because apparently uh, they just trash all the evil people in the galaxy instead of sealing them away. (laughs) And after she's released, she decides to wreak havoc on Earth after being sealed away for 10,000 years. And then uh, we get to meet our heroes, who are Jason, who will be the Red Ranger and the leader of the group. Uh, who is a martial artist and is very um, well inversed in his leadership. Zack, the Black Ranger, who is the uh, token black guy of the team, who also is a bit of a martial artist, but also loves hip-hop because 90s. Um, (laughs) Then we have Billy, the Blue Ranger, who is the... uh, stereotypical 90s nerd of the group, who is very talented with his brain power because he is very very smart and uses very very 90s nerd lingo aka using big words <laughs> and then we have uh trini who is the yellow ranger who is the token asian of the team who is very kind-hearted very environmentally um sound and is very much kind of like the big sister of the group and then we have Kimberly, who is the Valley Girl, uh, who is the and the Pink Ranger, who is very like and like uses very big ling, very nineties lingo. But you know, she's she's a sweet girl too. We get to meet them in their favorite hangout, which is called the uh, 
Ernie's Youth Center Gym and Juice Bar because 90s, <laughs> because that's a very 90s place. Just a smoothie juice place inside a youth center where the Power Rangers get to do their martial arts stuff. Uh, in the episode, um, Billy is trying to learn martial arts while also dealing with uh, the bullies of the show, Bulk and Skull, who are very funny in the show. I do love Bulk and Skull in this. Um, Later in the episode, uh, Rita starts attacking, and then that's when, excuse me, that's when Zordon summons uh, the rangers to the lair and tells them, I'm going to give you these powers because Rita's attacking the Earth and I need you to protect them. Uh, most of the rangers don't believe him, so they decide to leave, and then Rita decides it's the perfect opportunity to attack. I'm going to attack the rangers, and then once she does that, they use their powers, fight against the putty patrollers, who are the mooks of the show, and also go after Goldar. Goldar turns into a giant, and then they use their zords, which are the these giant robot animal mechs, form the Megazord when they combine together to ward off Goldar and save the day. In the second episode, High Five, there's a whole arc where Trini is trying to get over her fear of heights because Jason is climbing a rope, Very, also very 90s. I don't know if gyms do the rope climb anymore uh, these days. Um, they were torture all the time. I and, remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I had I had no upper body strength. So um, in that episode, um, there she's trying to f- go after her fear. Uh, of course, Bulk and Skull do Havoc again, because in every episode they do Havoc. So I feel like <laughs> if I say it every single time, I'm just going to be a broken record. So I'm just going to stick to what is just the main parts parts of the show because it gets very repetitive over time. And I feel like I'd be just a broken record. So... <laughs> While during this whole thing, uh, Rita decides that she wants to trap the rangers in a time warp like she did to Zordon. So she creates a device which suspiciously looks like a space shuttle uh, on Earth and then also summons a monster to go with him, which is a skeleton monster, to trap the rangers in the time warp. Uh, The rangers go and investigate. Um, Also, Billy created a communicator device so that they could communicate with with Zordon and Alpha. But also, he accidentally found a way to have them teleport into the command center. Uh, So they can now also teleport there. uh, So they go investigate the uh, time warp disturbance, and then they go... They deal with some putties. Unfortunately, Billy gets trapped on a uh, top of a cliff. Uh, so Trini, because Billy doesn't know how to fight yet, because he's not the fighter like everybody else in the show. Uh, Trini decides to climb up to the top of the cliff, even though she's afraid of heights. She braves her, you know, she bulks up and gets brave, saves Billy, and then they go transform into the Power Rangers, fight the monster in the time warp. They defeat the monster, but Rita decides, no, I'm not done yet. I'm going to summon a giant monster to go after you guys. They escape the time warp, and then Jason defeats the giant monster with the Tyrannosaurus sword. And then... After that episode, they're all they're all like telling Trini, like, oh, we're so proud of you because you faced your fears and 
all that good noise. And then in the third episode, Teamwork, it's pretty much the very 90s plot point of we got to protect our environment story. So uh, Trini and Kimberly are trying to sign a petition to get rid of a toxic waste uh, plant, which was suspiciously appeared out of nowhere. And that's because Rita decided to just place it there on Earth so that the Earth could go destroy itself. Okay. That's so, it, feel, it sounds like an episode of Captain Planet when I f- explain it. Um, so, in the episode, they tried to have um, the, the boys, Jason, Zach, and Billy, help them out. But, of course, they're busy doing their own thing. Uh, Zach is busy teaching Alpha dance moves because Alpha was just like, Hey, it's an emergency. I need your help. And then Zach's just like, you brought me here just to teach you dance moves. <laughs> um, and then Jason has to teach his karate class because that's what he does. And then Billy is uh, working uh, on the um, the science fair club because that's what he's a part of. Because, again, nerd. So um, Kimberly and Trini decide to investigate the power plant um, in the episode... Uh, industrial waste plant, excuse me. I just realized I said power plant. It's not a power plant. It's an industrial waste plant. Uh, uh, plant. There is a difference. Somebody's going to murder me for not getting it correct. <laughs> um, so um, they investigate. Um, of course, they do the typical thing where the putties appear, they fight the putties, and then Rita sends a monster, a minotaur monster after them. They fight uh, the putties and the minotaur, and then there's this whole thing about the fact that they're all separated because the boys are fighting the uh, the Minotaur and the girls are fighting the putties and Goldar and then they're separated and then eventually they get together they use their zords to fight the Minotaur when it grows giant and then but it's still not enough so Zordon pulls them out and gives them their power weapons which are the legendary weapons from Drew Ranger and they go back to fight the Minotaur and defeat him with the power cannon or the howling cannon if you're a Drew Ranger fan and they save the day and then they learn that teamwork gets stuff done that's pretty much how that episode goes out and then we go into episode four uh which in this episode they uh jason is trying to beat a um a weightlifting record so um during the, he's trying to deal with that, and because of the fact that stuff keeps happening while he's doing it, Rita gets the idea, wait, he's useless on his own. Let's separate him from the others, and so we can defeat him with Goldar and another Sphinx monster. Let's Yeah, let's throw in a Sphinx monster in there <laughs> <laughs> and go after him. So that's what they do. Um, they have Jason go after the two monsters and um he's getting his butt whooped by the two monsters uh but what actually what happens is is that um um i should because i don't want to leave out details is that um zach jason and kimberly go after the monster but of course the monster the sphinx monster is very strong and blows them away from the fight so he could set so he could separate them from jason and and everybody else um Trini and Billy are not present in this episode for the most part because apparently they were off doing some science stuff 
because in the um, in the Japanese show they were uh, Dan and Boy were turned into trees by this by Doris Figs because of, because of that plot point. If you haven't listened to episode one, then you need to listen to episode one so you can understand where we're coming from. Uh, so anyway, before I get too off track, uh, Jason's in a pickle. Uh, they come together. Uh, they decide to use their power crystals so that he could use those powers to summon the the other rangers, which I think is weird considering they could just teleport there. But, you know, they had to use the Jew Ranger footage somehow. And so they do that and they come together, form the Megazord, defeat the Sphinx monster. Goldar runs away. And then Jason finally gets the rep record and they learn that, you know, the Jason may be the leader, but without the other teammates, he, you know, they, you know, there's no Rangers with just one, with one Ranger. So it's pretty much like the same moral from episode three, but done a little differently. Um, and that's how they adapted, um, the, the Drew Ranger episodes, where if you watched episode one, you'll, you can get a better details on how we how we uh how they was connected so um uh before we go into compare and contrast stuff i'm gonna ask you from the first four episodes of mighty morphin how did you enjoy it it was definitely a throwback of style right because the way that um the script was the way that you know the visual aesthetics um, even, even things like technology that came up was so nineties. Um, and that was kind of fun to be thrown back into that, uh, especially as the nineties are having this resurgence now. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's coming back into culture again, but yeah, the thing that really stood out was the dialogue and, the the way that each episode was very much about a lesson. Like what is the lesson that we take from this? So it seems like it was aimed at kids to educate them in a certain way. Um, like, Hey, you know, the environment's going to hell. Um, like you can use the people that are close to you as support and, you know, teamwork and kind of all of those main points of 90s uh shows you know you it's very present in in this one too oh yeah like i think like i said like i made a comment earlier like it does seem like there are times where we can like literally compare them to other like shows at the time especially shows uh that were sitcoms because Mighty Morphin Power Rangers really feels like it's saved by the bell with a Japanese television show mixed in at the exact same time with how the writing is. I definitely felt that way, too. It was very, very sitcom-y. Um, and so, that yeah, that was a very interesting blend of different genres into this show. Yeah. I mean... You could definitely tell that the creators were kind of like, because, okay, here's an interesting fact. So this is something I'm going to let you know about. So the creators, the main creators of the show, which were Hayam Saban and Suki Levy, they've been trying to make this show for almost nine years. 
uh, when they were making it. So the reason why is because um, the Cliff Notes version of how it happened, because there there is a bigger history in it, which we are not going to go into today because that would take much too long. And I really want, and we want to stick to an hour long episode Mm -hmm. at least and not go for like three hours. Yeah. (laughs) Because there's a lot of history. We'll do a three part Um, later on. So, <laughs> Some bonus so, episodes. Uh, so Hayam Saban and Suki Levy were songwriters originally, and they worked on a lot of stuff. They pretty much did theme songs to so many shows that people are like, "Wait, what?" Because like they did the theme songs to uh, Inspector Gadget. They did the Inspector Gadget theme. They did the theme to, I think, Mask a lot. Like, like I, I can't, I can't even like name them all because there's so many that they did. Um, and while Suki, not not Suki, no, it's not Suki. Hayam, when Hayam was in Japan one time in the '80s, he saw Super Sentai on TV because he was flipping through channels in his hotel room, and he saw that. And he kind of got the idea that this could be something that could actually be marketed to a Western audience. And he wanted to find a way to do it. So when he discovered that, he actually made like a short pilot. Not well, not, not a pilot, like uh like a short like a pilot, like um like a trailer? Like a, yeah, pretty much a trailer. Like a pretty much his idea of how he wanted the show to be made in the eighties and try to pitch it to every network and, but no network wanted it until 1993 when the Fox kids network uh, saw it and they said, okay, go ahead and do it. And they, and he, they just went with it. So instead of doing, cause originally uh, the pilot used footage from an eighties super Sentai series, they decided to go with um Jew Ranger because at the time there were a lot of uh, dinosaur stuff coming out in the 90s like Jurassic Park and like uh dinosaurs and Cadillacs Land and stuff time. like that Land Before Time like all this was coming out so they went with the di- with Jew Ranger because of the dinosaur theme because they thought it would be more popular so once they finally made the show you know it became this phenomenon here in the United States. Uh, but so many people still don't know to this day that it's originally from Japan, but um, it's, but that's why there's such a clash of like different uh, themings in the show, because it's such a, um, a cavalcade of like different stuff. It's tokusatsu, it's um, American sitcoms, it's children's television. It's, you know, children's comedy. It's so much stuff in this one show. It's almost, it's almost like a kid's like dream show. Like, like imagine if it was like a sci-fi show with dinosaurs in it, but also they use ancient weapons. Like it really feels like a show that a kid came up with. Yeah. Which, which kind of gives, which gives it its appeal. It gives it a, a certain appeal that while I objectively think Jew Ranger is the better written show, Mighty Morphin tends to, I feel like a lot of people like Mighty Morphin just because of that kind of like special, like 
out of this world this the kind of show has. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, yeah, I I agree. Like, um, you know, I think Jew Ranger, it did seem like it was a little, you know, more well written in in the sense that like it it didn't really seem like it was for little kids. Like it seemed like it was for maybe like older kids. Um, whereas this one, uh, Mighty Morphin does feel like it's geared towards, well, one, a younger audience, but also a more general audience. Um, and I think, you know, that could just be the Western take and, you know, growing for me growing up in the States. Um, so yeah, it, I thought it was an interesting combination. And, you know, I didn't even think about the fact that in the nineties dinosaurs were like really, you know, getting into more popular culture, but then that makes total sense as to why it took so long for, you know, super Sentai to make its way over here. Um, and so, well, number one, I think that is a great observation on the creator. Um, to be like, hey, this is the time we bring it over here. Um, yeah, yeah, it was definitely like this mashup hodgepodge of of different like different genres. Yeah, yeah, um, it, yeah. Because the thing with me is is that I have major like this is going to be an interesting thing for you to hear um and everybody else to hear because like i grew up with this this is what i was raised on and as much as i am very nostalgia for mighty morphin i have always personally felt that its nostalgia is sometimes blown out of proportion now is that for you or for like the the general watcher no, for me, for me, it feels that way mm-hmm. because for me, like I don't. I'm not saying Mighty Morphin is bad. It's more on the lines that like Power Rangers has grown so much since its inception that there have been really good written stories that are equally as good as the Super Sentai stuff, and that while Mighty Morphin is iconic. You know, there are times where it clearly in the writing department didn't age well. Yes, I did notice some of those scenes. Uh, but like, I'm not talking like cause I know what scene you're talking about, because the scene you're thinking of is what in the third episode of team in teamwork where uh, Bulk and Skull are, tr- are being bullies and they're trying to get Kimberly and Kimberly does like a backflip to trick them and they're trying to grab her and they end up hugging each other. And then they're like, ah! because, oh, no. you know, male affection. Yeah, exactly. Mm, scary. <laughs> is that? That doesn't age well on a different level. But I mean, even the the bullying was very 90s bullying, too. So yeah. that was interesting to to watch again. Yeah, no, because uh, th- I'm talking about like other stuff, like in terms of like not aging well writing, especially when um, they had to use Juranger footage, but had to give some kind of explanation on why certain things are happening. Like I said in the explanation, for example, the... Um, the dino crystals, the way they were used in this episode in uh, Mighty Morphin was that, oh, um, we need we need to use these crystals so that Jason can summon the um, the other rangers to him so they can help him out, which 
doesn't really make sense when they can teleport and they there's they didn't indicate anything saying that they couldn't teleport there either so because in jewel ranger the reason why they had to do it was because the other uh the other jewel rangers were trapped in trees by doris fakes and in order to release them, Geki had to find the dino crystals so he can use them to release them from the trees so they could come back and fight. So, and it was the dino crystals were also an explanation on why they couldn't just form Daijujin in the very beginning like they did in the first episode of Mighty Morphin because they had the need to use the dino crystals in order to transform the Guardian Beasts into Daijujin. So, there were times where in the writing of Mighty Morphin where it felt like it was the writing was done out of convenience instead of actually trying to write a cohesive plot. But that happens a lot in children's TV in the West. So because in Japan, uh, like you were saying before that, like it seems to be more towards an older audience. It's funny because it's actually somewhat of a common misconception because Super Sentai is made for kids, like kids at least five years old, like same age that like that Power Rangers is supposed to be. Because while yes, um, it does have themes that definitely older kids would be more into. At the time, in in at this time, uh, Super Sentai was trying to gear towards more younger audience anyway, because past shows were considered too dark for younger children. So Jew Ranger was like the first Super Sentai series where they were really trying to gear towards a younger audience. So I think it's really funny that you said, oh, this seems like Jew Rangers for older kids. This was the time when they were trying to reach a younger audience. It just shows, you know, how different the two cultures are with how they treat children, right? Like, yeah. In the States, it seems like there's a lot of a lot more of like, oh, we got to protect the children instead of just letting children have independence and, and learning, you know, on their own instead of being like hand fed all of these lessons, which it feels like Mighty Morphin is, you know, that. Yeah, I think from a Western perspective, Mighty Morphin seems younger than Super Sentai, but or the Zoo Rangers. Um but I think, yeah, it's really that cultural difference that is highlighted in these two shows being compared. Because if they're the, for the yeah. same age audience, it's like if you were in the States, it would be a very different experience. Jew Ranger would be a very different experience than uh, Mighty Morphin. Yeah, because in in America, in America, Jew Ranger is rated TVPG, which means it's not considered a children's show. See, that's you in know, the United I could, States. I could see by American standards how that would be for sure. And that's why I think it's so fascinating. This is why I always tell people, watch Super Sentai because it is fascinating to see how a different culture views children's entertainment. Um, but let's actually get into um, the actual like show itself. So what did you think of... Um, let's start with the Power Rangers themselves. What did you think of the Power Rangers compared to the Jew Rangers? So this is a, a silly little observation, but for my whole life, 
ever since watching Power Rangers when I was really younger. Um, I didn't understand why the Yellow Ranger wasn't wearing a skirt. I was really curious as to why they chose just one of the female characters to wear a skirt. Now I know because their footage from, um, yeah, Zoo Ranger. And that makes so much more sense. It was a convenience thing. So now that I've gotten that off my chest, um, <laughs> I, um, I thought the characters were interesting. One thing that, um, it doesn't seem like there's a, like, like a playboy. Like I know in Zoo Ranger, the playboy was like Dan, I think. Yeah. Dan was the, was the horn dog who was like, I need, I, I, Hey girls, you want to go out on a date? You want to go out? You I, I, I've, I've been locked. Yeah. I've been locked away for millions of years. I need something. Right. And so like, I was kind of looking for, I was kind of hoping there'd be like a little goofy flirty, uh, character, but I, I'm not going to lie. Um, in my personal life, I'm all about them nerds. So I was totally fine with Billy being Dan. Um, another thing that you had pointed out to me that I wasn't sure how I felt about was uh, Goldar talking because Griffizar doesn't speak. And I really kind of like in, in Zoo Rangers, I really liked that he didn't speak and he was more of a physical, you know, physical actor, physical comedy. Um, and I just I don't know. I thought that was good for his character. But then Goldar, you know, he's 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 talking all the time, um, which was an interesting choice, in my opinion. <laughs> You know. Okay. Uh, but what about like? Okay. So now I need to. No, but I'm gonna go into the other characters. But you know what? I'm going to ask the question because of the last episode. Oh gosh. Because <laughs> it's gonna be a tough. Ep- it's gonna be a tough question for you. Who do you prefer, Bandora or Rita? Mm. Bandora. I feel like she's you more like Bandora of a badass. More? Yeah. Oh, 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 Bandora is pretty badass. I mean, Rita will have her badass moments later, but like, because in Drew Ranger, she, Bandora got her badass moments like right away. <laughs> yeah, she was like right off the bat badass. And like, Rita was like, yeah, I'm pissed off. I want to do some bad. But like, you know, nobody, she's not killing, she's not trying to kill children. Yeah, like Bandora's. Plus, they're clearly for Rita, they're clearly going for a Wicked Witch of the West vibe. Absolutely. For her character. I wasn't thinking like I like dominate the world, enslave the people of the world or any anything like that. Yeah, not 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 Satanist vibes like Bandora's. Bandora's Satanist vibes. Exactly. So yeah, could you imagine if a, if a show in the states was like, yeah, this is like a Satan-driven villain like no, that would be like I feel like that there would be such an uproar. Oh, parents would have freaked in the States if they actually made Rita a Satanist like she is in the uh, Jew Ranger. Yeah. Um, uh, but also, uh, I mean, because you were talking about the other characters too, like co- going back to the Rangers, comparing their Japanese, co- their original Japanese version with the American stuff. Like, So you're talking about Billy and Dan. Uh, what about like... Uh, like Jason and Geki and like Zach and Goshi. So 
and Trini and Boy. Like, what? How do you like the uh, the American characters compared to the Japanese characters? I I thought okay, so like Trini and Boy, I thought they seemed pretty similar uh, as far as like character personality, um, and same with Jason and Geki. I thought that you know that seemed like a pretty um, evenly translated character between the two. Yeah. Like personality was the same. You still had that, like, I'm a leader vibe, but like, I'm a part of the team. I am not the superior. And, you know, that yeah. was really, I'm really glad that they, they kept that because I could see that, you know, kind of going either way um, in Western culture, uh, that, you know, leader interpretation. Um, Zach, I liked Zach's character. Cause he's fun, but Goshi, I'm not going to lie. I don't remember his personality. He seemed like a little, little bit flat. Um, I was like, Oh yeah, that guy. But you know, I feel like Zach, they actually gave him, um, a personality. Goshi, Goshi doesn't really have much of a character, especially in the beginning. Cause in, it, cause honestly, Goshi in like the beginning is more of the like second in command character. So because of that, you know, he's not going to have much of a character besides being, oh, I'm the guy who you listen to if Geki's not around. Yeah, type yeah. Type of character. Yeah. So he's not going to have a personality in the beginning. Uh, so how about, uh, what What about, how about uh, Kimberly compared to uh, May? Okay, Kimberly that is a full blown American character. Like that is, you know, that's how I, you know, I felt like may was just like kind of this, this nice girl. She, she didn't feel like she had a big personality either. Um, and you know, maybe she was just there for like a female representation. Like here's a stereotypical girl. Um, Kimberly was a different type of stereotypical girl. She was the, you know, like you think of the girls who are on top of the fashion in the nineties, the ones who were, you know, cared about appearance, even though that doesn't seem to be her whole thing, but like, you know, you definitely get that vibe of like, I like, like, yeah, I don't know. There's so there's, there was something about Kimberly that I kind of didn't like. I don't know. Like she wasn't a bad character. She wasn't a mean personality, but maybe it was, I think you had mentioned earlier, like Valley girl, like she's the Valley girl of the group. And, you know, I hope they don't go further with that, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Okay. So, um, so on the last of the comparing the Amer the American to the Japanese characters, because we mentioned a few. How about um, how about um, um, Squat, Babu, who are uh, uh, Bookback and Topat and uh, Pre Leprechaun, aka Finster? How did you like the way they their characters were portrayed in Mighty Morphin? Um. Well. I think Pro Leprechaun was, I really liked him in Zoo Ranger. He was very funny. He was, you know, your typical artist, uh, your stereotypical artist of like, you know, these are my creations, these golems, these, you know, the Betty Patrol. 
these are these are my soul going into these you know creatures um finster he didn't seem to have as much passion and you know i would say finster uh babu and squat they i kind of wanted to see them a little bit more i wanted them to have a little bit more lines and like because i really enjoyed um you know like bandora's like posse like the interactions that they have with each other. Like I thought that was a great setup and like uh, in Mighty Morphin, I wish they had a little more screen airtime. True. I, I do. I do understand that because like, especially when you are dealing with, um, you know, using footage from a different show and trying to splice it together. Sometimes stuff gets cut out and left on the wayside. Um, I will also ask uh how did you feel about the the dubbing? I was just about to say characters. Um, Bandora, she. I was actually pretty impressed with uh, the dubbing. You know, I was really looking at word shapes, um, seeing how her mouth was moving, and like you know, I think in dubbing the biggest thing is the vowels. You know, you got to like, oh, this is an O shape, this is an A shape, this is an E shape, um, and. I, you know, I was, I was looking, they timed it pretty well, in my opinion, um, compared to dubs of other things I've seen, which are just mainly, you know, live action movies. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know if that is like a popular opinion, uh, but I, for at least Bandora, I was pretty, um, pretty impressed, pretty satisfied. Okay. So let's get into the non-adapted characters. Um, so let's start with uh, Zordon and Alpha. So how did you like Zordon and Alpha as the mentor characters? Um, I I thought they were fun. I kind of liked the duo um, because I, I think I feel like the duo, or at least Alpha, kind of filled in that, um, you know, the the silly vibe of, Bandora's like crew that I was missing and so I feel like Alpha was like good for that you know super silly robot um I had totally thought I was like oh my god that sounds like Tom Kenny um but I was wrong and uh then I guess <laughs> Billy West because I thought you know like I, I I know that Billy West had had filled in for Invader Zim um and then you were telling me, oh, yeah, no, this is the guy who did Invader Zim. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so mad. I love Billy West. And I got it wrong. And you were like, that's not even right either. So, you know, got mixed feelings about what I did there. Um, but, yeah, like I felt like Zordon was more present um, than Barza in, in this. Um, and it was kind of nice to see a little more of the mentor uh being there but i did like his omnipresence of like you know being like this big giant head and this like column and like that's always fun yeah no because like barza i mean barza in jew ranger is very different because he's more like the best way i could put it is that he's a mentor in the sense of he gives the jew rangers information on certain aspects and pretty much an exposition character uh especially considering that even though we haven't got that far into jew ranger yet um you'll understand it once we get into the next arc he's kind of like a 
a because uh, a priest almost because um in because Drew Ranger is based on a lot of different theologies and mythologies. So like they're like, oh, what's this monster? And he'll open that like pretty much that like Dino Bible and be like, oh, it is this monster, kind of. Or dear, whereas Zordon is more of a all-knowing, like, presence that's just like a, almost like a father in a uh, in a tube, mm-hmm. pretty much. <laughs> where he's very like, "I'm proud of you. Uh, you're doing a great job." Very father-like character. As Barza is more of a of a exposition, like, "I'm going to tell you how to." Uh, about how to defeat this monster. I'm going to tell I'm going to teach you about like how the monsters work type of character, exposition character, as opposed to a father figure character. Yeah. And um, that, that I thought was an interesting choice and I don't know why I feel like I liked that a little bit better than Barza because it also does seem kind you know, like the, like Barza's um, the concept of, of his character where he's just, he's sharing information. Um, you know, he's this expert instead of like Zordon, who's died. There's something about this omniscient head in a tube that I don't, it just like lights up something in my brain that I find so silly. Um, and I loved it. I thought that was like such a fun, silly thing. Um, yeah, so, but, but you know, I think Zordon and Alpha together, like, I couldn't imagine Barza with a character like Alpha by his side. Like, that would have just been too weird. You know, like, Barza, he's got it. He's got it down. He's good. But then Zordon is, like, like he's got no physicality. He doesn't have, like, can't, like, press buttons on the thing like, like Alpha. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so, that, okay, so going more into the non-adapted characters. Let's talk about the comedy bully duo Bulk and Skull. Now, Bulk and Skull are pretty much like the main staple of Power Rangers. Like, when Power Rangers was going forward and they were adapting out their Super Sentais, Bulk and Skull were the constant for a long time. Like, they were around from, like, when the show began in 1993 to about 1999, I would say. Oh, dang. They were around for that long. So, first impressions of the characters, what do you think of them? Do you think they're funny? Do you think they're annoying? What do you think? They, I instantly thought of, you know, the series Boy Meets World. Because that bully duo, <laughs> they are <laughs> right. They are kind of like the bully duo from Boy Meets World. Yeah, and like so, I, I at first was like, "Ooh, these guys are kind of jerks," and you know, like maybe a little bit irritating. Um, and you know, but you know that they're gonna they're gonna get whatever they dish out handed right back to them. Uh, you know, by the end of the episode, and so. It remind like I said, it reminded me of Boy Meets World. And in Boy Meets World, they really took the character of one of the bullies. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe I don't remember his name. It's the only one I don't remember. Um, but I think essentially the, the guy who would like play bulk. Um, well, no, okay. 
anyways, but so yeah, I mean, they ended up taking his character, really building this 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 arc of growth, and you know, so that's what I was hoping. Um, you know, the series will will do is kind of follow that that formula of like, all right, here's somebody who's mean to everybody, an absolute jerk, but deep down they're just a person, and they need to be connected to. And once they do that, then they, you know, become more pleasant, empathetic, those things. So I think it's a good setup for that growth. And especially if it's over six years, you know, I'm I'm really hoping uh, that they end up being allies. Uh, yeah, you will definitely know more way later on once we actually get digging way deep into this rabbit hole. Um so, I will say about Bulk and Skull, even though the humor is very, like, old school, I always seem to like their, their stuff that they do. They're, it's they're still funny to me, even after all these years. And I think there, it's just because there is a timelessness to slapstick. Absolutely. Um, so, but, okay, so I'm going to kind of go off on a tangent here um, and talk about like the major differences in theming because Mighty Morphin is definitely a 90s sitcom with action in it while Jew Ranger is more of a mythical warrior trapped in contemporary earth type of show um, so in terms of the theming which one did you find more fun? Well, okay. I mean, I am a huge person as far as like, you know, fantasy, mythical, um, you know, yeah, mythology and all that stuff. So I was, I was, I really liked that about Zoo Ranger and I, and I wish they brought a little bit more of like, you know, attention to like the mythical side, like, like Putty Patrol is very cute and very fun. Um, but like a golem is, is, is what it is. And I thought that could have been like a cool educational moment for, you know, kids who haven't been exposed to that type of stuff. Um, as far as like, you know, main themes go, I feel like Mighty Morphin had like much more focused themes and much more like life lesson themes and kind of with that, you know, if you go in thinking like, oh, this is a 90s sitcom, then you have that preface of it's going to be a lot of lessons learned. Um, and then it's just kind of silly to like, you know, when you hear the, the the classic dialogue of the essentially the today we learned type stuff. And you're like, yep, yep, yep. Um, but I think, I, you know, I, I liked the kind of more like fantasy element of Zoo Ranger. Um, just because I am very much a fantasy person. Okay. Um, yeah, no, because the thing with me is that, again, I have deep-rooted nostalgia for um, Mighty Morphin because I grew up with it. I, I do, I will admit, though, Drew Ranger's mythical theming is very fun because they did their research. Like, they really, like, the writers really knew how to incorporate different mythologies into one story 
Well, Mighty Morphin is fun because it is a more contemporary and it's fun to look back on in terms of um, it being very 90s. That's one of the show's unfortunate detriments, however, because of how 90s it is. I feel like if you were to try to have somebody watch Power Rangers, a kid watch Power Rangers now, I mean, Mighty Morphin specifically now, they wouldn't like it as much as Power Rangers today, for one. And two, Jew Ranger, while it is, you know, because some people don't like Jew Ranger in the uh, Toku community, Jew Ranger does have the more, a more timeless story. Yeah, absolutely. I could totally see that. So that's why it's interesting because like my bi- my nostalgia bias loves Mighty Morphin to its full content, but honestly, Drew Ranger just has the better story in terms of like availability for people to actually get into it because unlike Mighty Morphin where it definitely you definitely have to have the nostalgia for the 90s to love it a bit more, Drew Ranger, it's like, oh, people no, no, this is this is very timeless, very timeless story, very timeless characters, very timeless theming. Like, it, it works. Like, there's so many stories that do this theme of, like, ancient warrior trapped in modern society tropes. I mean, hell, the Marvel movies are do it. They did it with Thor. Yeah. So it's it still works. So it obviously still works in some capacity as long as you try to make it original. Now... The other thing that I wanted to uh, get into was um, recommendation. Which one do you think you would recommend more to somebody who is not nostalgia for any of this type of material? Which one do you think you would show first to somebody? Jew Ranger or Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? Jew Ranger, for sure. You know, I think I think you're right. You kind of have to have some nostalgia for the 90s to appreciate Mighty Morphin on a different level. Um, you know, and it, even in the show, it points out, you know, like, oh, like they're looking at the the watches or not watches, but um, the communicators. The communicators, yeah. Yeah, that, that Billy makes. And Kimberly even goes, oh, my gosh, that's so 90s. And I was like, It's like very much acknowledging, you know, that like this is an era show like, you know, it's it was interesting to to be thrown back and be like, oh, my God, that's right. Technology from 30 years ago was so different, but it was so different. Yeah. yeah, But I agree with you that Zoo Ranger seems like much more of a classic timeless story and, you know, one that the creators put a really like a lot of good thought into. But, you know, it seems like it's aged better um, because of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Cause like it's, that's why I say it's so funny that Jew Ranger is so split among the super Sentai community because some people don't like Jew Ranger and I'm, and they, they sometimes will say they prefer Mighty Morphin and I'm just like, huh? I wonder how much of that is nostalgia for them. I will respect your opinion. Obviously I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. It's just when you take it from the perspective of just comparing and contrasting the stories, Jew Ranger has the most, the more timeless story. And it definitely would appear more to um, 
audiences. Like, I've actually made an argument that Jew Ranger works better, especially nowadays, because now we have the Percy Jackson books, and which are mythical creature-type stories. And I can see a kid who likes Percy Jackson getting into Jew Ranger. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, yeah, seeing, you know, I actually never, never read Percy Jackson, but seeing the technology combined with the mythology, I think, is is was kind of I mean, this is this is me talking out of my ass um, is kind of like, you know, a new perspective on mythology in entertainment. Um, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, we we have seen something like that before in other like media of like mythical and like mythical science, mythical stuff and science coming together, It's the, especially in the Marvel movies recently. But yeah, no, that's why I keep telling that like, if, if I knew a kid that liked mythology stuff i would show them jew ranger first because jew ranger definitely would appeal more to a person who's really big on mythology because like mighty morphin i would still recommend mighty morphin to somebody who's very nostalgic towards the 90s yeah like if you're very nostalgic to the 90s even if you weren't raised or born in the 90s I would still recommend this to somebody who loves the 90s and loves 90s stuff. It's just Jew Ranger would be the first thing I would recommend because it has a it has a more timeless plot and it has better writing. Yeah, this you know, you did mention earlier um about the writing of Mighty Morphin and you know, making things kind of convenient like plot convenience which um you know, um from using the footage of Zhu Ranger. And yeah, it seems like continuity in plot isn't as important in children's shows in the nineties as, you know, it seems like maybe Japanese children's shows were, or even now, like some of the cartoons that are out now, I freaking love some of these Disney cartoon network cartoons because of how deep they are. Um, which is not something that we yeah. received uh, growing up. Yeah, no, like in, in the nineties, like a lot of our like like cartoon stuff in the nineties was definitely made just to entertain, just to entertain children, not to create like interesting plot points. I mean, look at the shows that look at the the cartoon shows we got in the nineties, just like. Like Red and Stimpy, Rugrats. Yep, yep. I'm Rocco's Modern SpongeBob. Life. I watched Dexter's and Laboratory. Oh. Like all these shows, great shows, but they're entertainment shows. They're entertainment first, story last. That's kind of like what Power Rangers was in the beginning in Mighty Morphin. You can tell that Mighty Morphin, because like Power Rangers nowadays has gotten better story-wise. Like the stories in Power Rangers, like I said, are equal to Super Sentai in terms of quality of story writing. It's funny because Super Sentai is having an opposite problem where like, having an opposite problem where in order for them to stay relevant, they really have to go outside of their norm of how they write stuff because what worked for them at the time doesn't work for them now so but it's good because super sentai is in this very experimental era of writing and it it's working wonders for them right now which is a problem that power rangers is going through currently because they're almost like they're going back to the 90s instead of trying to evolve like they were doing from the mid to late 90s into like the 2000s 
in the two during that time, Power Rangers was actually getting their writing. It has some of the best the some of the best writing in Power Rangers was during the late nineties to the two thousands. And but Super Sentai, their writing, uh, Super Sentai. It's funny because Super Sentai was starting to get into an issue in the nineties where because they were trying to write to younger children, their writing was suffering because of it because they couldn't do some of the stuff that they did in the past because they didn't want to worry about children not liking the show. It's interesting. Yeah, when shows It's really funny. Jew Ranger is the show that kind of started this, like, trend of, like, not liking the more kiddie... I'm doing that in quotes here. Kitty Super Sentai shows that come out where it's not as serious as the stuff that was made in like the 80s. Because Jewel Ranger, while yes, it's definitely a gear towards a younger audience than so say something like what came out last year, the year before Jewel Ranger, which was uh Chojin Sentai Jetman, which I'm not which I'm not just plugging in because it's my favorite Super Sentai of all time. <laughs> has a much darker story has a much darker story and much more contemporary story too um and has very like themings of like love triangles and like one of the rangers in that show is like a womanizing drinking smoking character which even in japan i'm surprised they got away with that <laughs> because like this character which when we watch Jetman you'll see what I'm talking about you like this character was a was a bastard of a character starting out but then grows into a good character towards the end and he's a hero character oh my gosh that's that's a very interesting take on uh, how to approach a story some stories were in Super Sentai. They were doing it. There were some characters that were hero characters in Super Sentai that don't start out the best. They start out not the best of people at the time. But then Jew Ranger came around and they were just like, we wanted to make it for a younger audience so that kids would actually like our stuff. Because there were other tokusatsus like Common Rider and Metal Heroes that were doing darker stories. But because they weren't appealing to younger kids, they weren't getting the money or the um, the views that they wanted. So they had to change shift. That's also why Kamen Rider uh, went on a very long hiatus. Like, it went on a hiatus from, like, the late, the late uh, 80s, like, 88, I think, until, like, the year 2000. A 12-year hiatus. Dang. Kamen Rider went in until they got the, brought the show back because Kamen Rider was, a, was also aimed at a much older audience. Common Rider, I actually argue, is aimed at more of a older kid teenage audience. Um, same thing with Metal Heroes. Metal Heroes had much darker stories. Had much darker stories. I mean, what my favorite my favorite Metal Hero, um, Metalder, which was made in the 80s, was only 39 episodes long because the show was not being liked by children. So they actually had to cut episodes. Oh. Because they weren't getting good viewership. And that show, in my opinion, is one of the best written tokusatsus that's ever been written at the time. So it's interesting that how in America, we actually like darker and more mature themes in our children's media, as long as it's done in a way that the FCC likes it. But in Japan, it, that's not the case. It's it's pretty wild. And it's really funny. Yeah, it's really wild to see the evolution of um, kids' shows. 
you know, I, I, I feel like, yeah, back when we were growing up, you know, no dark stuff. You don't start out with a hero being bad, blah, 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 blah. You may have some side characters who are not great turn into better people. But like now, you know, that's part of the cartoon, at least the cartoon formula is you have a really bad character like and and the point of that character is to grow so much that they are actually, you know, on the same side, 100% friends with the hero. Oh, yeah, especially with a lot of the stuff that's come out recently, like um, like Adventure Time. The Owl House, Gravity which Falls, just finished. The Owl House. Hunter is my favorite. All those shows have characters where they have a character that's not a good person whatsoever. Like straight up evil. Like they, they grow as a character and they start becoming a good guy at the end and it's so funny because again sentai was doing that in a lot of uh, tokusatsu in general was doing that in a lot of their stuff but then like once they realized that children weren't gravitating towards them they decided okay we're just gonna go back to trying to entertain the people who are most important and gives makes us the most money the children yeah they kind of were ahead of their time do ranger or like the ones before it's fascinating that that how much it has changed now because now a lot of children's media in America really likes putting some more darker elements in their shows and even you know talking about like more sensitive subjects like you yeah, know Steven like, Universe like, like orientation like well of course we could talk about that now unfortunately uh Japan won't get into that as much in their children's media because there are a more conservative conservative country. However, one thing I will let you know is that in the current Super Sentai series, um, Osama Sentai King Oger, uh, one of the characters that's the one of the Rangers is technically is technically because in the show itself they never revealed the character's I, uh, gender identity. So technically, they are non. Binary. Yes, I guess non-binary presenting. Yeah, yeah, non-binary presenting because they never fully revealed the character itself. Never revealed their identity. the uh, the act The character is played by a cis woman. However, the character is supposed to be uh, um, non-binary presenting because they never actually give the character a gender. At least not yet. So for now, it's a non-binary character. That is interesting. And that's that's nice to see, you know, a little bit more representation, even if it's, you know, I mean, I, you know, I can get into a whole rant about queer representation um, in kids media and, you know, even just adult and general media. But that's like that could that would be like five hours. <laughs> Yeah, that would be that would be a long time. Plus, we are talking about two different types of cultures too, because Japan culture is so different from us when it comes to representation because of the way their policies are. But like, it's just interesting to me because like the funny thing too is is that now we are talking about stuff like this. Japan, while they don't really talk about like identity politics because you know they're more conservative, they were talking about very strong subjects like death yeah and you know people actually like actual lives being at stake uh people can die 
in in the Super Sentai shows, like they're talking about heavy subjects for children. It's almost like in Japan, those subjects are okay to talk about in entertainment, but not in normal life conversation. Where here in the United States at the time, in the 90s, talking about stuff like that in a children's show was a big no-no and should only be talked about with a parent or a guardian type of um, mentality. The the West, or at least, you know, definitely America has issues with death. It's like they really try to avoid um, any exposure on death to children, which is, I mean, I, you know, in the nineties now it's a little bit better, but you know, it's only, they don't, they, it's still part of our culture that you don't talk about death. It's rude. It's, you know, it's, it's unfavored when, you know, it's, it's something that everybody needs to learn about, especially kids. Yeah. I mean, plus like at the time, like this was, this show came out literally a year before, um, Lion King, where Lion King had like its first, first yeah. on screen, on screen parent death in a uh, in a Disney movie because Disney, well, they had they mentioned parents, you know, passing away. They never showed it on screen until that movie. Until Lion King, we never saw an on screen parent death. So it is interesting that like. Um, Mighty Morphin came out at a time where they were just about to start talking about it, but because they weren't yet, it was very well kept in how it presented its children's media and what messages they were teaching children. Because, like I said, in Jew Ranger, in Jew Ranger, there were literally there's literal multiple episodes where children's lives were at stake. Absolutely, I think like, every episode these, we some watched. of these children were going. To, yeah, every episode we watched, children were about to die. Like constantly. Like constantly because Bandora hates children. So let's do some final thoughts before we wrap things up uh, with this because uh, as much as we love talking about this because it is fascinating, uh, we cannot go on forever. We need to give y'all a listening break. Yes, exactly, because y'all don't want to hear our voices for too damn long. So final thoughts. What are you more looking forward to watching more of from right now mighty morphin or you or drew ranger gosh it's really hard because i have been going through a 90s nostalgia tv binge in my own time so mighty morphin i'm excited for the nostalgia i mean i you know i know i'm gonna get a kick out of some silly little things i you know it, it i i do thoroughly enjoy that but Jew ranger i'm a little bit more like genuinely excited for it's not just like there's no nostalgia factor so i'm very you know i'm much more curious about about the story about the way you know the things that are going to happen to the characters and i you know i do like how you know zoo ranger they they have something to build up to they do the build up a little better because you know it's their original like film filming um, whereas Mighty Morphin, you know, it has to cater to what's already been filmed. So, yeah, I think for story plot wise, Zoo Ranger, I am excited for um, as far as like feel good, like laugh out loud, you know, Mighty Morphin. 
All right. See, because um, that's a good thought. Yeah. No, because it's funny that you mentioned that because about like you've been on a '90s um, uh, uh, kick. Because like I have, I decided to like brush up on my nostalgic like game shows, and I started watching freaking uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple again. Oh my god. Um, which um, one fun fact I will end this podcast on is um. Olmec, the uh, the talking head guy from that show, is voiced by a famous voice actor named uh, uh, D. Bradley Baker. Oh my god, I have seen that name so many places. That's because he's done so much stuff. Now, this is my homework for you, Howie. Okay, okay, Kohai. okay. Look up D. Bradley Baker online and look at all the shit that guy has done voice acting-wise. I am so excited. I Yeah, I've been... Ugh voice actors you'll be shocked on how many shows that dude has been on and how many movies that guy has done so with that being said we're gonna end class here so thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you in the next podcast bye bye I want to thank everybody for listening today. Remember to check us out on Apple and Spotify and wherever your podcasts are to listen. And of course, support us on Patreon for exclusive content and sneak peeks at our future episodes. Thank you so much for listening. And you are awesome.